All right. Okay, so <clears throat> we're wrapping it up with our belief series. Um, you can see on the screen over there, we first started with Think, then we talked about a lot of uh, our responsibilities and how we need to act in our faith, and now we're finishing up with our being. Um, and uh, Kev, how many more do we have? Uh, we have four, I think. four more left. Okay. Okay. And then after that, if we were listening and if we applied what we learned, we should be set. I mean, you should have all the knowledge and instruction you need so that you can uh, um, live out your life with um, confidence of the love of God and uh, assurance of the thing that you need to be doing um, to grow closer and closer to God um, every single day that you live. So um, today... Uh, we're going to talk about uh, patience. Um, so <clears throat> it's one of the attributes of being, okay? When we talk about being, it talks about who we are as humans, who we are in our character, who we are in our innermost being. Um, and uh, patience is one of those traits in the Bible that um, is found all over the place. Uh, when people have patience, they're rewarded, they're encouraged, they're strengthened. And then also on the opposite end, when we have people that are impatient, usually we see them encountering trouble, um, encountering problems, or even more so encountering the disapproval of God because they did something before they were supposed to do it, or they did something when they weren't supposed to do it, et cetera, et cetera. So again, just as an introduction, patience is usually associated with a very good thing on one hand, and on the other hand, impatience uh, usually leads to a lot of trouble. So let's kind of look into it and see how the Bible teaches us about patience through some of the stories in the Bible. Um, some of them you will have remembered. We'll talk about David. We'll talk about Job. We'll talk about Paul, you know, some of the some of the heroes and some of the people that we often speak of. And then we'll see how patients play a role in their life, how patients played a role in their development, in their character, and how patients played a role in their story of how they lived out their lives with God. Okay? So here is the, uh, the key passage for patience. It says that I am slow to anger and endure patiently under the unavoidable pressures of life. Okay? So the key word there for you to kind of remember as we're looking at it is that word unavoidable, okay? What that word means is that with life, there are certain things that are gonna come our way, okay? Those are unavoidable, it comes to everybody. Whether you're a king, a president, you're the movie star, you're the best basketball player in the world, or you're just a normal human that goes to school, goes to work, does something for a living and kind of lives out their life like that. So here's the word, um, a verse from Proverbs that kind of summarizes what we're going to talk about. It's from uh, 1429, uh, and it says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So again, comparing to those two extremes, okay? One who is patient has understanding, or in other words, one who is patient is very wise, has a lot of wisdom. And another one who is not patient, he displays folly, or he lacks wisdom, okay? Um, so, 
let's go ahead and talk about our outline over here, the things we're going to talk about. So, uh, as usual, we'll talk about where patient comes from, where patients come from. You know, how do we even know about patients? How do we know what patients is? Why do we know that it is a good thing? You know, how can we kind of think and understand it? Then we're going to talk about this idea of patients as the bridge. And we'll, we'll talk about why patients is a bridge between where we are and where we need to be and how we have to usually cross this bridge to reach a destination that we need to go or some kind of improvement in our character as God is building us up. Then we're going to talk about patience and justice, um, and specifically justice as an attribute of who God is in his character, okay? Um, and then patience and us. We'll talk a little bit more about David um, and his story and how he related with Saul when Saul was a king of Israel. And, uh, and then we'll close it with talking about the idea of patience and, and wisdom. So last time I spoke, I completely lost track of time. Uh, I barely got to half of it, and I was really late. So I'm going to try to speed up a little bit today and not get too sidetracked when I talk about things. So um, Kevin, what time should I be kind of wrapping up by so that I can kind of have an idea? 1.30. Okay, awesome. 1.30? Okay. Like 12, 12.30, 12.45. Okay. All right, that's cool. <clears throat> All right, so let's start you know, without, uh, without kind of further ado. So let's talk about the origin of patience. Where does patient, patience come from? Why is it important? Why do we know what patience is, okay? And just like we talk about so many of these things that we know, whether it's love, whether it's faithfulness, whether it's mercy, whether it's grace, the only reason we even know what these concepts are, the only reason we know that they're good is because they come from God. We see them in the character of God, and God displays them and shows them to us for us to follow, okay? So if we remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about um, joy, we talked about how joy originates from God. We talked about how love originates from God. So there's a verse from John that we mentioned then, uh, <clears throat> actually two verses, 1 John <clears throat> 4, 10 and 11. And here's what the verse is. It says, this is love, not that we love God, not that we understood what love is not that we had love in us but that he in other words God loved us he's the one that showed us what love is you know um, just like a little kid that has no idea how to ride a bicycle he sees a little toy and he looks at it and he says wow that looks really interesting and then his dad or his mom comes along and says all right Jimmy let me show you so he gets over there gets on the bike sits on the seat puts the feet on the pedal and says, okay, now you start pedaling and the, bi the bike will balance itself out and you'll go fast, right? So the parent is the one that displays and shows to the kid what actually uh, riding a bike or what that is for, okay? So in the same way, it is from our Heavenly Father that we know a lot of these things. So whether it's love uh, or it is patience. In Psalms 86 and verse 15, it says, but you, Lord, are the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, here's that slowness and patience that we talk about, abounding in love and faithfulness. So those are all characters and attributes of God. Those, that is who God is. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that inspires us to be all of these things and to be better, okay? So let's go to the next slide. So <clears throat> then, now that we know that it comes from God, that it's a good thing, why should we be patient? 
we ask ourselves the question, like, what, why be patient when it's much easier and much better to get things instantly, okay? Nobody wants to wait 10 minutes to download a song. Everybody wants to push the button and the song to play immediately, okay? Everybody wants, they don't want to wait for something to happen in its proper time. We want it instantly right now. So, you may have heard it mentioned many times before, we live in a society and culture nowadays where we are trained from the time that we're very little to receive instant gratification for everything. So what that does then is it makes it really, really hard for us to learn to wait for good things or to develop a habit of patience. So let's look at some examples. There's a picture here with a lady cooking chicken. And I know, you know it's, it's kind of tempting to put food over here when everybody's thinking about that. I'm, I'm trying to, to, to kind of speak here, but it's an important lesson nonetheless. And I put chicken over there for, for a very specific reason, because most of you who either cook at home or maybe help your mom and dad at home when they're cooking, know that chicken is one of those types of meats that it really has to be cooked fully before you eat it. Because if it's not cooked fully, it is the most susceptible to developing bacteria and other things, which in turn can give you stomach problems, can get you sick, and all kinds of other things, right? So, if you are impatient and you take the chicken before it's cooked and you eat it, yes, you may be fine, but also very likely you may get sick. Okay, so there are some concepts about patience. Let's go to the next one. Let's look at this food over here. Who knows what this is? That's a pineapple. Okay, good. So here's something really interesting about the pineapple that you may have known or you may not have known. But if you picked a pineapple before it's fully ripe and you try to eat it, it tastes good. I don't know. I've never tried it. It is actually poisonous. What? So I hope none of you have tried to eat a pineapple that's not ripe. One, it'll be really hard. So I'll, you know, it'll be kind of hard to eat to begin with because it hasn't softened, hasn't ripened. But also, it is poisonous. As a matter of fact, even when it's ripe, even when it's ripe, the pineapple, a lot of people experience discomfort with it. You know, like if you eat a lot of it, don't you notice how it does some things to your tongue? Yeah. It makes your mouth feel a little funny, right? So that's when it's ripe, okay? But imagine if it's really, really raw and it hasn't ripened, we weren't patient enough to let it ripen to its full kind of maturity, then it is actually poisonous and bad for us, okay? So those are just some examples in nature that we don't even think about, but that are actually indicative of why patience is important, okay? So let's go to the next one. So <clears throat> that picture over there is one of the biggest viaducts and bridges in the world, and it's located in France. So patience as a bridge. Stop for a moment and think about it for a second, and then we'll look at the story of the Israelites and how they moved from Egypt to their promised land uh, where Israel is right now in Canaan. So when we talk about patience, Patience is usually, a lot of times in the Bible, it is the necessary bridge that takes us from where we are at the moment to where we need to be. So where we are is something. We may be good, but where we need to be is we need to be better. So um, it is usually the link between the past, kind of where we've been, to where we need to go in the future. 
and it connects the old to the new, okay? Um, and uh, <clears throat> so let's go and start talking about the story of the, um, the Israelites in Egypt. So the Israelites were in Egypt, and uh, were they free or were they slaves over there? Slaves. They were slaves, okay. Uh, when you're slaves, do you have any rights? Yeah. No, there's no rights. You are a property. You're like this table. I own this table. Can this table say anything to me? Yeah. No. no. I mean, yeah. you can talk to it. I can talk to this table. But I don't think it can say anything, right? It's just an object, okay? If I take it and put it there in the middle, that's where it will be. So it was when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were property. When Pharaoh and his commanders came and said to them, okay, you come here, over there, 24 hours today, you work on that pyramid. Could Peter say, I'm sorry, I can't do that today. I've got responsibilities, like, you know, like I got a date with my girlfriend and we've been planning this thing for a while, you know, and I really can't do that. Plus, like, you know, Sunday nights is usually like, you know, baseball and Fox, I don't miss that. It's really, really hard, you know? No. He comes over and says, you're my object, you're my property. Go over there and do that. And they don't have an option. They don't have anything. Now, the e Egyptians would provide food for them because unlike the table, when you have an object that is human, if you don't feed it, what happens with them? It they die, okay? So then you can't get work out of them anymore, okay? So, so they would provide for them a little bit of food so they can keep on doing the work for them, okay? So in other words, is that a good state to be in? Kind of. Aha, so, okay, you get, you get food. Okay, he's, he's on a point here. So they do get food, right? But apart from the food, is being enslaved and controlled by another human uh, necessarily a good thing? No, it's not, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, it leads to a lot of trouble. We, we, won't go to, we won't go into it too much today. But that's where they were. So the story of the Israelite community in the middle of transition from the old where they were in Egypt, where they were enslaved to the new, the promised land, as it is called in the Bible, um, where they are to be free and to live there with their God. Okay, so let's read uh, in Numbers uh, 14 through uh, 1 through 4. So this is a little bit of background. So the Egyptians um, have had their fight with the Israelites. Moses has freed them. They've gone through the plagues. Okay, we've talked about those things before, and now the Israelites have been traveling, and they're walking on their journey. And were they walking through really beautiful areas, or were they walking through deserts? Deserts, okay, so difficult times, difficult journey. It's really hard. Are, is there a lot of food in deserts? No. No, is there a lot of water in deserts? Yeah. No, no. No, there is. So there's, in deserts, there is no food, and there is no water. There is a little bit, but very, very little, okay? So is it easy to live in a desert? No, it's not, okay. So when they're going on this journey, the Israelites, and they're walking through the desert, they have to rely on God to provide for everything that they need, okay? But it gets hard from time to time, okay? And then they get to a point where they are seeing the glimpses of the land that they're to occupy. And they're getting a little excited, you know, they go over there and then Moses and Aaron send some people to kind of spy out and look at the land and they go over there and check it out. 
And they come back and tell everybody, it's like, all right, guys, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit from the Bible, just giving you the background to the stories. It is amazing. You know how, like, the desert, we had nothing? This place is full of stuff. I mean, there's grapes that are gigantic. There's milk and honey flowing. It's a very fruitful land. There's plants. There are trees. There's water. I mean, it is beautiful. And everybody's like, awesome, awesome. I know it was worth it. This is cool. And then they come with the butt. And they say, oh, by the way, there is gigantic people over there. They're huge. There's no way we can beat them. And everybody's like, oh, we knew it. This was all a mistake. We should have never listened to God. We should have gone back, etc. So here's the story. That's kind of the background. And they get together, and here's what they say. That night, all the members of the community, so all of them get together. They raised their voices and wept a lot. Why are they weeping? Because there's giants over there. Like, we can't go there. It's, it's this whole journey through the desert and the scorching heat and the blisters on my feet and not having good food and not having all of that. Like, all of that was for nothing, you know? And they're kind of worried now. They weep, wept aloud. It says, all the Israelites grumbled. When you grumble, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Bad thing, okay. So grumbling is a bad thing. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Okay, so you can't really see on the screen here, but there are some things here that are um, changed in red, okay? So if only we had died in Egypt, past sense, past tense, okay, looking back. And then there's another one after that. Um, it is, it is better for us to go back to Egypt, another past tense, another kind of turning back, okay? And then in the last verse over there, we should choose a leader and again, go back to Egypt. So, you're on that bridge, keep in mind, patience is a bridge, you're crossing that bridge from the old to where God wants you to be. So, can you cross a bridge if your head is turned backwards the whole time? Yeah. No. No. Right, I have to get there, I have to get to where Kevin is, but as I'm walking, I'm doing this. Am I going to get there? No. no, you're not. Okay, because your head is turning over there. Okay. So, when we are crossing the bridge from where we are to where we need to be, do we look back and say, wow, it was so much better last year? Or, wow, it was so much better over there? We should have never trusted God in this journey and kind of encountered. Okay? Um, so, in this example, that is bad. So, obviously, most of you are not going to... In embark on a journey across the desert nowadays, okay? Most likely, if you're going to go on through the desert, it's going to be on vacation because you just want to see, like, cool sand dunes and stuff like that. So that's not what's going to happen in your life. But what is going to happen is God will want to take you from where you are in your life right now, and he is going to take you across some kind of struggle and some journey to where he wants you to be, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so... When he's doing that, and it is difficult, do not look back. Keep your eyes forward. Keep your head forward. Facing who? God, Jesus, because he is the one that's in front of you, leading you. Okay? So look forward and look towards him. Um, how about 
the story of Peter when he's walking on the water. Who remembers that story? Some of you, okay. So in that story, what happens? They're on the boat, they're in the middle of the lake, and then they see Jesus doing what? Walking on water. Walking on water. And Peter does what? Walk on water. Peter says, I want to walk too. I want to walk on water, right? And he looks at Jesus. Jesus reaches out, starts going towards him, and he starts walking towards Jesus. His eyes are on him, and he's going to where he needs to go. But then he notices what? Thundering, storms, the water. So all of a sudden, his eyes go away from who he's supposed to be following, Jesus, into the surrounding. He's looking at the storm and the clouds and the water. And here's the boat where I came from. And all of a sudden, because his eyes started looking away from where he's supposed to be going, what is he doing? He's sinking. He's sinking. He's going down. Okay. So it is the same thing over here as well, right? It is as they're going and they're encountering a journey. They're looking at the giants, they're seeing the storm and all that stuff. They're all of a sudden starting to panic and they're looking back and they're like, we should have never left. It was awesome over there. They at least gave us food. I don't care that we were whipped all the time. It doesn't matter. We should have never come here. They're taking their eyes away from Jesus and looking back. Okay, definitely, definitely wrong. Don't do that. So let's go to the next slide. All right, so let's kind of summarize what we just read over here. They are exhibiting reluctance to move forward. Instead, their heads are turned back. When we say a reluctance, that's a big word. What is, what is a reluctance? When somebody is reluctant to do something, what does that mean? What, Mark? I can hear you. Hesitant, okay? He's just like, uh, um, should I go to Mark and, and say hi? Uh, maybe I shouldn't. Uh, should we do that? Uh, I don't know, he may not like me. He may not be nice to me. I, I really want to do it. I can't do that. So that's a reluctance. It's a back and forth thing. So the time is going by, and have I gone to say hi to him? No, nothing. I'm just sitting here. We're one step, one step forward, one step back, okay? So they're showing reluctance to move forward. Instead, their head is looking back. Okay, so what is God's instruction in this mindset? How does God reply to them? So Moses, who is their leader at the time, he is the one that goes and interacts with God on their behalf. So as they're encountering a trouble or a difficult situation, he will go and seek out God's instruction and he would come back and deliver it to the whole community. So after going and meeting with God, here's what Moses tells to the community about how they're supposed to act and as opposed to how they are acting. And he says in Numbers 14, eight and nine, if the Lord is pleased with us, again, if it's God's will, he will lead us into that land. It can be giants, there can be fortresses, there can be anything. If that's God's will, he will lead us there, okay? A land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only, here are the commands. Here is what God is telling the Israelites as they're crossing this bridge. Only, two things, do not rebel against the Lord. As God is taking you somewhere and you're walking, don't pull back on God. Don't rebel against where God is trying to take you, okay? Don't rebel against the Lord. And number two, do not be afraid of the people of the land. So, both of those things. Don't fight with God one step forward, two steps backwards, one step forward, two steps backwards. Trust God and don't be afraid. Fear not. Because every time you're crossing a bridge, it's a scary thing, right? 
You're in the middle of something. You saw that really gigantic bridge divided in France. When you're in the middle of it, I bet it probably shakes a little because it's kind of out there in the wind. I've been on the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, the really big one that's in all the movies. Um, and when you're in the middle of it, it's pretty scary. You know, it kind of sways a little and you're like, oh my goodness, I hope I get to the other side really fast, okay? So it is scary, okay? And it's okay to acknowledge that, but it says, do not be afraid of the people. In other words, trust God that he will take you where you need to be, okay? Because, he says, we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Not because the Israelites are strong. Those people over there really were giants. They were big people, okay? So it's not the strength of the Israelites, but because the Lord is with us, do not be afraid of them. Okay, so as we walk in on this bridge, don't look back. Keep your eyes on Jesus and trust in him. Don't rebel as God is taking you somewhere, okay? Don't rebel, fight back, don't trust him, and don't be afraid. Okay, let's go to the next one. <clears throat> All right, so here's something, and this is, this is gonna connect us to the justice, uh, patience and justice a little bit. Uh, what is God's character as seen in this story? So let's look at a little bit over here. So we're reading in 18 and 19, there's just a little bit later on down in the verse. It says, and here's Moses explaining God's character, um, and here, let me just preface and explain something to you and why this is important. When you're going through something very difficult, when you're moving from one state in your life to another, and it's a big transition in your life, and the Bible calls you to keep your eye on Jesus, to focus on Jesus and to trust in him, you really want to know who God is. You really have to know who it is that you are trusting. You really have to know and be at peace about the character of the one whose hand you're holding as he's leading you from one place to another. So here is the character of the one that you are supposed to look at, keep your eyes on, hold the hand as you're going across that bridge of patience, okay? And here's what Moses talks about when he talks about God. He says, the Lord is slow to anger. When he is slow to anger, what does that mean? Is he patient or impatient? Patient. Patient. Okay, so as you hold in the hand, God understands who we are. He understands what we go through. He understands some of our fears. So he's patient. He is one that holds you gently as you're moving across the bridge. And he will take you to where you need to go. He is abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Okay? He's abounding in love. In other words, he loves you. He wants the best for you. If he wants the best for you, he will ask you to go to a better place. He is taking the Israelites out of Egypt. Why? Because it is better for them to be free and to live in a better land than where they are right now. Does it make sense? So if God wants to take you from a life in which you are shackled by sin, uh, a life during which you are entangled by an addiction, a life when something else troubles you and he wants to take you to a better place, it's going to be difficult. But the reason God wants you to be there is because he loves you. And being in a better state, being free from sin, being free from addictions, uh, or wherever God wants to take you, is a better place for you. And God always wants to you to be in a better place, okay? So, 
God is abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. But here's the thing that we should not forget. And here's what we really need to be aware of. It says also, he does not, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents in the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. So, yes, the mercy of God is abounding. His love is everlasting. However, something is shown here that we need to understand about God, and that is that God is just. In other words, if there is something wrong, God will judge it. In other words, in his presence, everything that's wrong, everything that's sinful, everything that is bad is revealed. So keep that in mind as we progress. So let's go to the next slide. All right, so again, connecting from the last one. God is just, but also God is patient. We mentioned both of those things in the previous verse over here. So let's see what Peter says over here, how those two things work. We're going to go into the New Testament a little bit. This is in 2 Peter 3, 3, uh, and 3 and 4. Okay, it says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Just a little bit of explanation here. What is Peter talking about? Peter is talking about the, sen the second coming of Christ, okay? And how we are supposed to be patient and kind of wait for that. But then he says, people will come and say, ah, that's nothing, it's just a bunch of stories, it'll never happen. Look, all these years have been by, nobody has come, nothing has happened, okay? So he's warning us, and he's telling us, there will come a time when people will be saying this, okay? Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has always, ever since the beginning of creation. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> but Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, okay? Just like Kevin was saying when it says forgetting, okay? Forgetting meaning that you remember something and you act on it. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. He's calling them friends, meaning implies closeness. It says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. God has not forgotten. He's not busy with other things, and it just hasn't thought about the second coming in a while. Why is God delaying? Okay? It says God is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, instead, the big word here, he is patient, and that's underlined in red, with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay? So God is just. Keep that in mind. He has to judge sin. When he comes, everything will be judged, and everything will be revealed to what it is. But he doesn't want that to happen until everybody has had a chance to hear about Jesus. Everybody has had a chance to understand about his son and the forgiveness that is given to us through him over there. Okay? And it says afterwards, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So that day will come. And everything will be revealed for what it is. The truth, sin, and good things as well. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. Um, <clears throat> everything will happen as God promised that it will. However, while we are waiting for the Lord, how should we live? Whether that happens tomorrow, or it happens in a year, in 10 years, 
100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, million years. That's all in God's hands, right? And that's all in his will. But until that happens, how should we live? How should we take advantage of the patience of God and him not wanting anybody to perish? So Peter continues and says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? I mean, when eventually everything is going to be judged and destroyed. So how should you live your life? It says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And then he concludes, so, dear friends, he called them dear friends earlier, again, implying closeness. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you of the wisdom that God had given him. So, here's another example of how God displays his patience towards us. God waits for everybody, for all humanity to have an understanding of the repentance that he has given to everything, to everyone, through his son Jesus. And because of that, not to perish and disappear at the end when everything will be destroyed by fire and the elements will melt in the heat, just like Peter is saying. Okay, so kind of connecting those patience and justice. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Um, okay, so now we're gonna get a little bit more into our stores um, and uh, story mode and, and talk a little bit about how patient played a role in David's life, okay? Um, so we call, we're calling it patience and us because it is about how we can absorb patience in our lives to make us more into the people that we need to be, okay? So David in the Bible uh, was a king. Before he was a king, who knows what he was? What was he? A shepherd. He was a shepherd, okay, so he was just a shepherd, but he became a king. Okay, so keep in mind what we've been talking about thus far, okay, that transition from the old into the new. So he's a shepherd in the old, but in the new he's a king. king. Okay, he's also call, called a man after God's own heart. So who he was, his character, his inner being, is something that God likes, something that God approves. When you're saying that somebody is after their, you know, God's own heart, that means that their life, their character is in accordance, in alignment with the principles and guides of God. Okay? So, here's the story of David. <clears throat> right in that transition from when he's a shepherd to when he's transitioning to be a king. So during those transition years, when he's in the bridge, David is forced to be a fugitive and wait for God's timing. So, he's waiting, he's being patient, instead of taking things into his own hands. In the Bible, we have two stories, two encounters with him and Saul that illustrate this. So, a little bit of background so that we're all kind of on the same page over here. So, when he is a shepherd and uh, he's not yet a king, and later on when he is running away, there is another king already in, uh, that's right, so what's his name? Saul. Saul. Okay, so while he's preparing himself, while he's becoming while God is molding him to be a king, David is not yet the king. There is another king in the land, and his name is Saul. Okay? So, <clears throat> Saul 
explain that a little bit later, develops a great deal of jealousy and hatred towards David. And he understands that David will be the next king. So because he's jealous and he's angry, he starts to go after him. He starts to pursue him. He starts to chase him to try to do what? Kill him. To kill him. Um, because he doesn't like him. Because, well, we won't go into it too much. But I'll explain why he developed jealousy in his heart a little bit later on. We'll see kind of how that came and how that um, kind of became part of his life, of Saul's life. But anyways, the background is that he is chasing David. He doesn't like him. He hates him. He wants to kill him. Okay, so let's go and look at the first encounter. And then we'll read the story a little bit. Can you push the button? All right, so encounter one. This is in 1 Samuel. <clears throat> and Samuel is who, by the way? Just so we kind of... A prophet. A prophet, okay. So during that time, Samuel plays a very important role in both Saul and David. Okay, he is the prophet. He is the one that guides them in a way to be in alignment with God. Okay, anyway, that'll be really important afterwards. So this is from the book of Samuel. <clears throat> so Saul is chasing after David. They're hunting him. Saul is there with his army. David, David is hiding in the woods, in caves, in forests, with his own little group of people that are protecting him. And uh, Saul is trying to kill him. So we have an interesting story where Saul goes into one of those caves, go to the bathroom, okay, by himself. Because you don't go to the bathroom with people, right? You know? Did you use the bathroom back then? Well, they didn't have bathrooms. Bathrooms, they went to caves, right? So keep in mind, it's in nature, right? If you've ever been in nature and you have to go to the bathroom, there's really not toilets and stuff. You just kind of go somewhere apart from everybody, take care of business, and leave. So same thing is happening here with the King Saul. He goes into one of those caves. Except, guess who is inside the cave? A spider. There's probably a lot of spiders too, but who is inside the cave? Oh. David. David is inside the cave. Okay, so David is actually hiding in the cave from whom? Who is David hiding from? Saul. From Saul. So Saul and his army are hunting after David, and they can't really find them. And, you know, Saul sees a cave and says, I gotta go take care of business. He goes inside the cave to take care of business. Meanwhile, inside, in the back, in the dark, Everybody's just like, because they see him coming inside. And they're all kind of in the back. You can imagine the soldiers with their swords and spears and just kind of waiting. And then the person that is hunting after them, the person that wants to kill them, the person that hates them, is in front of them by himself and he's not aware that they're there. So all David has to do is just like just do a little whistle just to, just say this and then everybody just goes over there pom pom two chops he's done and then they're good right David and his people are good they're free they don't have to run around anymore they don't have to act like fugitives which is awful sorry no just David did I say Daniel sorry David yeah he doesn't have to run and be a fugitive anymore he can just go and live his normal life and to make things even better the current king will be dead, which means that that prophecy that he's supposed to be the king will come to realization, and David will actually be a king. So that's awesome. It's perfect. Except David doesn't do that. Instead of going and killing the one that's chasing after him, instead of going and killing the one that's pursuing him, 
David instead shows him compassion and mercy. So let's read what actually happens over here. So actually David decides to call out to him and says in the cave, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. He says, my Lord, the king. This is important. When he says, my Lord, the king, what does he say with that? Right. What does he mean when he says that? When you, when you call somebody, my Lord, my king, do you show yourself to be above somebody or no. below somebody? Below somebody. That's right. So I David think. is saying with those words, Saul, you are my king. I am just your subject. I am one of your people in the kingdom. I respect you. I respect your authority. And most importantly, I respect that God has placed you over me. Very, very important. So he says, my Lord, the king. And then Saul looked behind him. When he looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Another one. Okay. So he calls him, my Lord, my king. And then when Saul looks back, he's like, who called me? And behind him, he sees David. And what is David doing? Is David just kind of sitting over there? He's like, what's up? Or is he more like, no, he just kind of goes down on the ground and bows down in front of him. Okay? Another act that says, you are my king, and I honor you. I respect your authority and your placement in my life. Okay? So he, he puts himself under Saul. He tells him that he's just one of his subjects. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you. So he's telling Saul, like, why do you listen when people are telling you that I'm here to get you? You see where I am? I'm on the ground. I'm just one of your subjects. I don't want to harm you. I don't want to do anything to you. He says, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. I could have done anything I wanted. Some okay, so people in his army urge me to kill you. They're like, hey, David, you got him. Let's get him. This is it. See, they don't quite understand as much. Maybe they're lacking the wisdom. However, David has the wisdom. And he says, some urge me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the, the Lord's anointed. Okay. All right. <clears throat> oh, I think he was, yeah. Okay. So he, he was kind of skipped, but because he is the Lord's anointed. So, David's not taking things into his own hands when that means that what he has to do will go against God. Okay, so bear in mind, this is really important to understand. Did Dave and his men kill some people? Of course. Because, you know, they were around, they had to fight, they were attacked, and they would defend themselves, they would fight, and they probably killed some people. They were, he had a small band of very strong people. Okay. However, why is David not killing Saul over here? Why would killing Saul be a bad thing? Because he is the king and it would be against God. So, would it make his life better? Would it make his life easier? No. Yes, he would because he would be gone. Saul would be gone. There would be nobody to chase after him. Nobody that would want to take his life. It would make his life much, much easier. However, he's the king. And to kill him would go against God. So David is saying, okay, I could have killed him, but that's not the right thing. In other words, I still have to be patient, right? I still have to wait. It's not the right time. Okay, so let's, 
Let's go and see the response from um, Saul. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is this your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. Why is Saul weeping? Because he felt ashamed. He felt ashamed, you know? He just found out that somebody could have killed him and his life was spared, right? So it's a little overwhelming when somebody tells you that. Um, he says, you are more righteous than I. He's seeing the reality right now. Um, and he says, you have treated me well, but I have treated you very badly. I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away? Does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. So Saul has a sort of a, a repentance moment where he realizes his own fault. However, the problem with Saul was that he's very short-lived, and he goes back to his old ways. And the same thing happens. Again, he starts harboring hatred and malice and evil towards David. And again, he gets his army. He's like, all right, let's go and get David again. I hate him. So let's go and look at encounter number two. Same thing again. So now they have again gathered a huge army. They go, they go chase after David and his little group of uh, band of brothers. And they've gathered near this little wood, this hill. And it's in the middle of the night. And uh, Saul says, all right. Everybody camp down, got to rest, and they kind of camped out for a little bit, and they're gonna, we're going to search for David again tomorrow. So while they're at the camp, and they're camping down, everybody's asleep. And that's because God puts them to sleep, he tells us a little later on. The commanders, the ones that are supposed to be protecting Saul, because again, he's the king. If everybody's asleep, somebody can go and just cut him down, okay? So that's why we have guards, security. They're the protection around to make sure that the king lives. But everybody falls asleep. So right next to the camp, in the woods, in the forest, is, guess who? David. David, with his band. And they're looking at the camp down there with Saul and his army, and they're all asleep. And uh, they can walk inside quietly, just get Saul again. Okay? And his band... His people, again, are telling him, you know, his people would follow him anywhere. They're like, David, just say it. Just say it, brother, and we'll just go there and take him for you. You don't even have to go down there. I'll just sneak in because some of the people that were with David, they were pretty bad. I mean, they were just really strong, very powerful, good soldiers, good warriors, all that stuff. So like, we can go and take him. So they go down into the camp and get to where Saul is, but they don't kill him again. They do something else. So <clears throat> let's see what it actually said. And this is in Samuel 26. So David and Abishai. Abishai is one of those really, really strong guys in uh, David's band. So he's one of those people that is always with him. Okay? He's like six foot five. He weighs 250, benches like 300 pounds or something like that, you know, on, on the bench press. He'll probably run like a 4-7 dash if you play. You know, he's probably like... Uh, Rob Gronkowski from the Patriots. If you guys watch football, he could be a tight end or something. Like that. In other words, nobody messes with this boy. Like, he can take you down in a heartbeat. Okay? So he's with, so he's with David. But you know, he honors and respects David. So they go down there into the camp. By the way, I just, I was just uh, giving you an example. I don't know how big he was. He could have been like a really small guy that was awesome in karate and like he could take people down. But he was a courageous guy that was with David. 
the idea is that these are strong people. These are warriors. They can go down there and take and kill Saul in a heartbeat, okay? So again, David and Abishai went to the army by night. So they're in the middle of the night when they're sleeping. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground. It's not in his hand where he can defend himself. He's asleep. His spear is right next to him, near his head. Abner and the soldiers. Now, Abner is the sort of equivalent of Abishai on the Saul side. He is the really strong commander that's supposed to be always protecting and guarding and kind of being with Saul. So Abner and the soldiers were lying around him, sleeping. Instead of protecting Saul, they're asleep, okay? That in mind. So Abishai said to David, again, he's like, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Again, the same thing is happening, okay? Look, just like in the cave. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear, of the spear. I won't strike him twice. He won't even notice it. In other words, he's saying, he's like, he will die instantly. Like, he won't be pained. He will, like, instantaneous. <clears throat> uh, but David replies. He says, David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Again, who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed? Who can touch the king? He's a king. He's there because God placed him. It is not in our power to take his life. But instead, he says, and be guiltless. As sure as the, uh, why am I missing stuff again? Is there something on the other one? Ah, anyways. For some reason, it cut off. I don't know why. Um, but um, he, I'll just explain to you what he says afterwards. He just says, uh, it's not ours to take his life. When the time comes for that, he will either die of natural death or he will be killed in a battle or something else will happen. But it will not be me taking his life because that would be wrong. Okay. So, again, they wake up Saul. Saul wakes up, realizes what happens again, and Saul says to David, again, repenting again, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and I have been terribly wrong. Okay, so again, David tells him, it's like, okay, Saul, I could have killed you. Let's skip some verses here because just to kind of shorten it a little bit, but he says, I could have killed you. By the way, here's your spear. We took it. It was right next to your head. You can have it back. And he makes, you know, David makes fun of the people that are supposed to protect Saul. And he's like, hey, you guys were asleep. Like, what's up? Last night, I came and walked through you. Nobody was protecting the king. I'm just saying, that's your job. And then he kind of calls out to Saul and says, Saul, here I am. Again, I had an opportunity to kill you, but I did not. I spared your life because it's not the right thing to do. Don't hunt after me. Keep on doing it. And again, Saul feels terrible. He's like, I'm sorry, David. I messed up again. I'm so sorry. He says, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you consider my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. He's like, I'm done chasing you. It's good. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. And then Saul said to David again, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way, and Saul returned home. Um, let's go to the next slide. So in this story, there's actually two patiences reply, uh, exposed to us. One is the patience of David. How is David patient in this story? How is David patient in this story? Reggie, what do you think? So what? 
he doesn't kill Saul, okay? So in other words, he is patient and waiting for the right time for him to be a king. He doesn't take things into his own hands. He knows that he's going to be the king one day, but he's not speeding things up. He's waiting for God's timing on the kingdom. He doesn't want to do things wrong. Um, do you have anything else to say? No. Exactly. But on the other hand, we have another patient, patience exhibited to us, and that one is God's patience with Saul because God is patient just like Peter was saying to us for none of us to perish and he gives us opportunities to repent and change our attitudes okay because what is the attitude of Saul is it a good attitude no that's right so he's harboring sin in his life so through all of these encounters God is showing patience to Saul giving him an opportunity to repent for the sin in his life really interesting thing that's why we have both of those uh, those stories and I mentioned to you guys that I would explain a little bit about how the malice and the evil and the hatred towards David came into Saul's life so it's just really brief because we need to keep on going uh, uh, but in Saul in Samuel 13 Saul and his army are getting ready to fight the Philistines those things were people that fought with the Israelites early on several times. So Samuel <clears throat> tells to Saul, he's like, you guys don't do anything until I come and see you. And then when I come to see you and your army, I will bless and will pray and then you guys can go into battle. So Saul is like, okay, everybody, you guys heard Samuel, we're not doing anything, nobody's going to battle, nobody's doing anything. We're going to wait for him. And they're waiting. Meanwhile, the Philistines, you can kind of hear the the, the thumps, just like in Lord of the Rings, you know, they're getting ready. It's like their marches. You know, and they're getting louder, and these roulettes are like, okay, we're waiting, we're not doing anything, we're going to be defenseless. Like, what are we going to do? And I was like, no, wait. We're waiting for Samuel. It's important for us to wait for him. He's the one that is supposed to come and bless us so that we can go into battle, so that we go with God's power and we're not going on our own. And they're waiting, and they have to be patient, but they're getting impatient. They're like, something we got to know what we're doing. This is kind of crazy. It's one of those tense situations in the movie when it gets kind of crazy. And um, the day comes when Samuel is supposed to come. And he hasn't come yet. And Saul is like, all right, never mind. He's not going to come. So let us do the offering to God, and then we'll just do what we're supposed to. Remember, he was not supposed to do that. That's not his job. Samuel told him, you wait for me. That's my job be patient but Saul is like nope that's it we're done waiting we're going to go and do that and just as he starts to do the offering for God for the battle guess who shows up Samuel shows up Samuel. the guy that they were supposed to wait for so just as they're kind of they're like ah, okay we can't wait anymore and then they just start going and doing stuff and all of a sudden here's Samuel his robe and he's like oh hey Saul what are you guys doing over here? So I was like, uh, we're waiting for you, but you weren't coming. Samuel's like, well, I'm here. Um, so then because of Saul's action in that, uh, he, Samuel told him that he has dishonored and disobeyed God. And because of that, David will come to take his place as a king. And then when Saul realizes that, he starts hating because David is the one that does things the right way. He's the one that follows God. And Saul 
And here's the key thing, because he was impatient. Here's why patience is so important. Because Saul was impatient, he is in sin against God. So his impatience is the one that starts to bring the evil and the malice against David in his heart, okay? And on the other hand, we have David who is patient, and you can see how being patient and patient are so important. One, that you're honoring God and you're trusting him to do the process and prepare you, and the other one where you're taking things into your own hands and you're not trusting God in his process and his timing. Just like that. Okay. So the process that David is going through, and I just wrote that little thing because it's kind of important. The process that David is going through is a necessary step in making David the great king and the man after God's own heart eventually. David could have shortcut the process. He could have said, you know what, we're killing Saul now, and I'll be a king. However, he would not have developed the character of patience and trusting God, which later on were very, very necessary for him to be a very good king. It makes sense. So if David kind of shortcuts God and says, I'll start doing things my own way, then yeah, he would have become a king, but he would not have been as good of a king as God wants him to be. The fact that David had to wait and be patient is what prepared him to one day become the great king that he was and that we talk about and we, 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 we study and we read his stories, etc. Or as the first thing said, a man after God's own heart. So here's why patience, patience is so important. Okay, let's go to the next one. Speeding up because I gotta wrap it up. <clears throat> All right, so quick story, another one of relationships. I'll just very briefly kind of mention it. In the New Testament, Paul, on his journeys, when he's traveling to modern-day Turkey and Europe, etc., and kind of preaching and, and sharing the gospel of Christ with the people that have never heard about him, he has a little disagreement with John Mark. And John Mark is one of the people that kind of goes on these journeys with them, um, like that. So let's read in Acts and see what happens over there. We're in 1536-40. It says, Sometimes later Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas is one of the guys that walks with them as well, another Christian believer, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, John Mark, with him, John also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So is Paul, has Paul forgiven or is Paul still harboring things in his heart? Still harboring, right? Paul is like, no, I don't want to play with Mark because, you know, three months ago when we played basketball, he shoved me like with the hand and he was mean to me and uh, I just don't want to play with him, you know? And now Mark is cool, you know, I could play with him, he's probably awesome. But in my heart, I'm like, no, I hate him, I don't like him. So Paul does not have the, the attitude of forgiveness and kind of working. He kind of harbors some disagreement over there with Mark. So then Barnabas takes Mark and then they separate and they sail for Cyprus, but Paul chooses Silas and leaves, and they're commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He goes to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay. So it's a disagreement. Okay. They're not in agreement. They're not in unity as the church. They are separating each other. Okay. But let's go to the next one. Wrap it up over here. Um, <clears throat> but then, in 2 Timothy 4.11 to 2 Timothy 4.12, um, I'll skip the first one. It says, at the end of his life, so after a long time has passed since that story, 
Paul says to Timothy, he's writing a letter to Timothy, only Luke is with me, get Mark, that is John Mark, and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in the ministry. So over the span of his life, what, he, what has he done with his heart towards John Mark? He has forgiven him, right? He's a right. And now he says, you know what? I need him. He's, he's a good man. I need him to come. He'll help me, etc. So patience in lifetime. And then here's the thing that James says that's really, really important. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So you start getting angry with somebody, then you are not going to be able to produce the righteousness that God desires. There's not going to be the fruit of the kingdom or the fruit of God in your life. So let's go again. Just flipping again, going fast. Okay, so we'll read this really fast. This is now patience and wisdom, and we'll read some of the verses in Proverbs that specifically talk about patience. All right, Proverbs 14, verse 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. That was the verse that was in the beginning of the lesson today. So patient person is, has understanding, has wisdom. One who is quick-tempered, does not have wisdom, displays folly. 1518, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. One who is jumpy, hot-tempered, you know, blood in his veins. He is like, all right, here's Saul, let's kill him. He doesn't think about things, he just kind of does stuff. A hot-tempered hot person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So because of David's patience, the quarrel is calmed down and there's not a fight between him and Saul. 1632, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. 1911, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And then 2515, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. So that last verse, is a very good indication of what actually happens between David and Saul. Because David is patient, so through patient, a ruler can be persuaded. Who is the ruler in the story? Saul is, right? So there's, there it is. And who is who are Proverbs written by? Solomon. No? Solomon, okay. And who was Solomon? Whose son was he? That was David's son. All right. So, so Solomon, guess who he talked to and who he kind of grew up with and who told him about all the stories in life and who taught him wisdom? His dad. They hung out together. Who was his dad? David, right? So when they're talking, they're like, all right, son, let me tell you what happened when I was a young man, when I was your age, and when Saul was pursuing me, right? So that is why he can write some of these things uh, in the wisdom from um, that his um, dad taught him. Most importantly, that God gave him, but the experience, the connection with all those guys. Okay, let's go next one. <clears throat> all right, so patient and wisdom in difficult life circumstances. How does having wisdom help us to be more patient? It, gives, it helps us by giving us an understanding of the true, true nature of things, and that is what Job exhibits. So, okay, five more minutes, I'll, I'll wrap it up. So let's read the Job thing really fast. All right, who knows who Job is? No? Okay. So he's a guy that's really good. He's rich. He has a lot of different things. 
he's wealthy, he's got daughters, etc. But he goes through a very difficult time in his life where he loses everything he has, he gets very sick, his children are killed. In other words, he is really, really in a very bad situation. So the story goes as this in John uh, in Job 1.8. It says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Satan replies, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you and uh, curse you to your face. So, let's go to the next slide. All right. So, that's what happens. Everything that Job has is destroyed. All his animals are killed, are taken away, they're stolen, and all his kids are dead and they have died. In other words, Job is pretty much left to nothing. And here is his response. He could have been angry, he could have cursed God, but here's what this, here's, at that situation, here's what Job says. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay, so here's why wisdom helped Job to be really patient. By wisdom, Job understood that everything that he had, his possessions, his health, his family, all of that was a gift from God. So when that went away, did he have a right to be angry about it? No. It was something that was given to him by God, and I, if it's taken away, he's sad, he's hurt, as the thing says in the, in the beginning, he tore his robe and shaved his head. That indicates sadness and sorrow, right? But he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job replied to wisdom because he had the right understanding about his place in the order of things, especially the fact that he was given his important place and his possessions by God. That wasn't something he earned, and now he's grumbling and griping about it. It was a gift from God. So the similar thing is mentioned again in Ecclesiastes 5.15. It says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Ecclesiastes being a book about wisdom as well. And also in 1 Timothy 6, 7 in the New Testament, it says, for we have brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. So all of that, having a good understanding and proper understanding of all the things that we own, all the things that God has given us, helps us be patient when we are lacking some of those things. We're not arguing and grumbling because, well, I had so much food last year, but now I don't have as much, you know? Well, when you had, it was given to you from God, and now when you don't have as much, it is also God is in control, and he's leading you through something, okay? So let's read again. <clears throat> After all of that happens, there's another encounter when um, Job gets sick, he has boils and all kinds of things, and he's upset and sad again, like almost everything in his life is ruined, yet he still does not curse God, okay? He still 
honors God in everything that he does. And at the end, after that trial, during which Job exhibited a lot of patience, here is what happens. It says, at the end, this is after everything. So this is Job 42, after the whole book. It says, the Lord blessed the later part of Job's life more than the former part. So, keep in mind that idea of the bridge. Was Job's life pretty good? Yes, but God wanted it to be better. Okay? So he says in the later part, Job's life was more, play, more blessed than the former part. He said he had 14,000 sheep. It's a lot of sheep, in case you're wondering. 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kisiah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. Let's go next slide. Okay. All right, so here's it. The book of Hebrews sheds some needed light to the why of the suffering in Job's life. Job suffered amazingly, much more than probably most people ever will in terms of their life. Think about the concept of what they mean, losing everything you have, losing your house, your car, all your clothes, all your food, field, your job, everything you had, right? Uh, being sick, terribly sick for a really long time. Uh, the people in your family dying, children, etc. I mean, just unheard of. That, that difficulty that Job went through. So it's easy to ask, why? Like, why did Job have to go through that? For that answer, we'll read Hebrews. And it's 12, 7 through 12, 10. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says to the Christians. Endure hardship. Did Job endure hardship? Absolutely. Hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, and that's in red, that's important. When something happens in your life, God allows it for a reason, because he loves you. He wants you to go through something because on the other side, it'll be better for you. You will be better, you will be freer, you will be more full of love, more blessed. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness, so that we are closer to him, we're more holy. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> And uh, this is the last one. Uh, and we'll close with this. And uh, I think it's a very appropriate thing to kind of close with. Uh, Rather Hebrews continues to say, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Everything that we're going through when we have to be patient is difficult. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained Okay, so afterwards, on the other side of the bridge, there is a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, therefore, very important, 
Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. As you're crossing that bridge, perk up. Be strong, be confident, and continue walking forward following Christ. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. All right. So, <clears throat> patience because God is patient because it comes from him. Patient because it is the bridge that takes us from where we are to where we need to be. And who is taking us on this transformation? God is. So don't be discouraged, but be strengthened. Because keep your eye on Christ and follow him. Be patient where God has placed you for the moment. Wait on the Lord. And when the right time comes, God's fruit will be apparent. The harvest of righteousness and peace into your life. So, all right. So we are done. We have some questions over there. Let's go to the next slide. Um, and um, we can discuss this while uh, everybody is getting ready for lunch or I don't know kind of how we do that, Kevin, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, while we're doing our table talks. So, um, so getting groups there, everybody's kind of mixed up and you kind of know how to do that. And then we'll uh, talk about these questions over here a little bit.